Welcome back to week two of 4 for 4 Football's USFL Daily. As always, I'm your host, John Daigle, joined today by friend in life, none other than Run the Sims CEO, Justin Freeman. And Justin, we are following the inaugural week of USFL football. What are some takeaways outside of a disastrous DFS slate that you have in mind? Well, it, it's hard to look past that disastrous uh, DFS slate and uh, what a show it was. But um, an interesting first week for us, uh, a reminder of how little we know um, and a good reminder of how we should be approaching uh, strange new sports in DFS. Uh, forget about what the consensus says. Uh, forget about even what your own sort of gut feeling is. Instead, embrace that uncertainty, lean into it. We saw passing games really kind of struggle to get going in week one. A lot more success on the ground than I thought we would see. But, I mean, you could tell these are our teams that uh, feel comfortable ground pounding it um, and, and approaching the game that way. Saw some running quarterbacks really start to take off. That makes for some exciting upside for us. We'll talk about some of those guys as we go. But uh, I just sort of had to recalibrate uh, my expectations. Uh, I think in the XFL, we did see a little bit more passing success early than what we're seeing here in the USFL. Maybe that'll come over time. Maybe we'll get there. But for right now, um, you know, one of my biggest misses from week one was leaning a little too heavily on some of the receiving options and not enough on the ground game because a lot of the running backs really got there. If the theme of week one was to fade the public, since everyone had favorite plays, even though we literally had no clue who was going to be on the field, this week's theme is to figure out what sticks. And we'll talk about every offense individually and what happened in week one as we move along going game by game. But it's something I definitely want to keep in mind. Also, although, as you mentioned, the football was not encouraging, I still think DFS and betting on this is encouraging because it reminds me of preseason NFL DFS in that you need every bit of information until kickoff. We even saw last week some players that were on inactive, were on the practice squad, were 20% rostered. Winning lineups, salary left over was anywhere from 8,600 to 9,500. Uh, we also saw two to three running backs in optimal builds, knowing, as we talked about, we wanted those touches, thinking it was going to be bad football. And so receiver targets really don't matter as much unless we can pinpoint the receivers that are getting shallower targets and just easier to catch and handing us those DraftKings points in PPR leagues. So something to keep in mind as we move along here. And I want to start with the first game of the four-game slate and also the showdown slate. And that is none other than the matchup between the Michigan Panthers and New Jersey Generals tonight, Friday, 8 p.m. Eastern. And let's start with the injury report because that's the biggest news we will have every single week moving forward. And it seems like we are going to have every injury report at least 12 hours finalized before kickoff. And right now for Michigan, for example, Joe Walker and Jeff Bidette, wide receivers, have been ruled out. Wide receivers Ray Bolden and Reggie Corbin are active for the first time all year, so we expect them to step in. And on the other side of the ball, most importantly, wide receiver Jamon Moore has been ruled out for New Jersey, whereas it looks like we are going to have Alonzo Moore back active in the lineup and tight end Wes Saxon, as well as wide receiver Cam Eccles-Looper, active for the first time as well this year. So let's get started in this matchup, Justin, and tell me where you begin in breaking down this game. So as you're going through that injury report there, uh, you talked about Joe Walker and Jeff Bidette, two guys who were starting wide receivers for the Michigan Panthers last week. 
uh, not going to play. And uh, you know, I reached out to the USFL communications and, and they said, basically, these inactives are good to go until about 30 minutes before kickoff. And so they will issue a final set of tweets. Um, I saw some of them come as late as like 19 minutes before kickoff. But anyway, the, the idea is like they have the right to make some last second adjustments, but we can pretty much assume that this is the case. But this Michigan Panthers receiving group is now only three people long. You know, it's Lance Lenore, Devin Ross, and Ray Bolden now as the three wide set for the Michigan Panthers. Uh, the, the flip side there is they do have three uh, tight ends active, one of which is essentially a de facto wide receiver in himself, LaMichael Petway. Uh, Petway is a dude who has uh, exploded at times in the preseason. He looks like a wide receiver. He's really a tight end in name only. Um, so I'm expecting him to maybe play a little bit in that rotation, but we love that. We love narrow target trees. Uh, we love knowing where the ball is going to go. Um, we saw Shea Patterson put up a reasonable fantasy score last week, despite the fact that uh, he had a really sloppy game, turned the ball over a couple times, put the ball in the carpet. Um, I want to say the Michigan Panthers had something like seven fumbles or something like that through that game. Uh, he and Paxton Lynch did not look particularly inspiring. Neither did the entirety of the Jeff Fisher offense, but uh you know, you could certainly chalk that up to week one jitters, working out the kinks, that sort of thing. Um, there could be a reason to go back to Shea Patterson. How do you feel about him this week? So, as you mentioned, four fumbles total, one interception, zero confidence for Shea Patterson and Paxton Lynch. That is my concern. Also, it was a different game script than perceived because the Panthers did finish with the league's fourth highest pass play rate, 55% in week one. But remember, they trailed by three scores, 17-0 at the half. Whereas in the first half, when they were still competing, they had they ran the ball on 57% of their dropbacks. So I think they definitely want to be a run-heavy team. It's just a matter of what game script entails. And that's what I worry. Like Shea Patterson out of college at Michigan into the NFL as an undrafted free agent, he held on to the ball for the longest time in the nation in his final year at Michigan. That's exactly what we saw in the USF as well, as he tried to extend plays and just has no pocket awareness whatsoever. So on one hand, even in four-game slates, I like opening up this game with New Jersey's defense, trying to get a hold of that. I prefer to wait for late swap opportunities into the next three games in the four-game slate. Tonight, though, if we were talking about Pittsburgh, not only do I think you can be overweight, this is four-game slates as well, overweight on Lance Lenore. As you mentioned, even though we are going to be missing Joe Walker and Jeff Bidette, Around those two, Lenore still led this team in routes run and air yards. Like he was the clear cut number one option. So he's not Mike Williams. I don't mean to comp him to that, but I just imagine like uh, uh, what happened. I'm sorry, not Mike Williams, Mike Evans. I imagine what happened in the playoffs whenever we took Antonio Brown and Chris Godman out of the lineup. Everyone rushed to Tyler Johnson and all these bums playing behind Mike Evans. What if we just say the best receiver is now getting even more opportunity? So I'm totally fine shoving in Lance Lenore everywhere. And I don't even mind going Lance Lenore with New Jersey's defense, thinking it's New Jersey who capitalizes. And then Patterson just has to jam Lenore targets throughout the rest of the game, giving us a high floor. So that's the way I'm approaching that side of the ball anyhow. Yeah, I think that's perfectly reasonable. Take advantage of that skinny target tree that is now presumably less talented than the one that we saw from there last week. So if, if Lenore was commanding targets among their three best receivers, uh, certainly among 
three of the worst receivers, he would do even better. Uh, one other thing to note, uh, you mentioned Reggie Corbin called up this week. He will be a third running back. And so um, assuming he continues to reside in the active roster, that just sort of weakens the bull case for Stevie Scott and Cameron Scarlett, the other two running backs there. We're really just kind of playing a game of simple math to help make us some of these decisions. And obviously three running backs in a backfield, not as nice for fantasy purposes as two running backs in a backfield. Uh, so while Stevie Scott and Cameron Scarlett both had uh, pretty decent games uh, last week um, and what was still a relatively run first attack, uh, Reggie Corbin could come in and take just enough volume from both of those guys to sort of, you know, suck the blood out of the turnip there. As Tube Socks, terrific name, mentions in the chat, Ray Bolden on the active roster, but still questionable with an Achilles injury. If Ray Bolden plays in one game slates only, Friday night only, if you're listening to this, I actually don't mind firing him out there because only the true degenerates of degenerates will know he didn't play last week. And with these two absences in Walker and Bidette, we genuinely just don't know. Like if anything, Derek Willie's taught us to not trust anybody. If Stone Cold didn't teach us, Derek Willie's taught us don't trust anyone. And so I'm not trusting this offense whatsoever without these two. And I don't mind firing up Bolden and showdown slates and just hoping for the best. Yeah, no, I think he's a, probably a good player. Uh, in fact, at the practice that I got to see, he was like a team leader, even though he was clearly injured, not out there taking reps with the rest of the team. Uh, he like led the line drills and warm ups and that sort of thing. Um, so I, I think he is a guy that they actually do want to get involved and unfortunately was injured last week. Still want to make sure he plays, make sure that last minute inactive report doesn't catch us. On the uh, New Jersey side, you know, it's it's weird. It's like... <laughs> everybody's banged up one way or the other. You have four guys who are expected to play at the receiver position that are all on the injury report in one way or the other. Um, we like what we saw from Randy Satterfield in the opener. I thought he looked great. Um, looked like a, a true playmaker on the outside there. And they were really going to lean on their tight ends for sure. Uh, Braden Bowman looked like he was going to be a top dog option uh, throughout the first half of that game. Ended up suffering an ankle injury. Doubtful to play here tonight. And Woody Brandom, and that's a hard name for me to say, Brandom, he uh, actually is going to be the starting tight end more than likely tonight. And I have high expectations for him. I think he could be a really sneaky play. We've seen the tight ends be super involved so far in these eight offenses. Uh, so it would not surprise me at all to see Brandom uh, go out there and, and lead the way and play somewhere north of 80% of the team snaps. So Satterfield and Brandom are two guys that really stand out to me, as well as running back Trey Williams. He's certainly the more versatile of the two running backs available for the generals. The team has obviously cut Mike Weber. He's no longer with the team. They're down to no more than two guys there, and Trey Williams and Darius Victor. Victor, the bowling ball, short yardage guy. Trey Williams, the guy that we love for DraftKings. I initially locked Trey Williams, who led all running backs in the league in snap share, 65%, into my lineup. But then I noticed that it was Luis Perez who – targeted this backfield on 27.7% of his throws. And you would think after DeAndre Johnson finished as the QB1 in fantasy in USFL in week one, he earned more snaps. And so then I worry about the backfield target rate, and I don't know how to play these quarterbacks in four-game slates. And showdown, I'm open to rostering both, to be honest, knowing we're going to get the rushing yards and equity from DeAndre Johnson while also getting throws from Luis Perez. So... I'm open to that idea on Friday night, but in four game slates, how are you handling this passing attack in terms of who's under center? 
Well, it was weird, right? Because Perez came in and he looked like John Elway out there. He looked fantastic. He was out there dropping dimes. And uh, I was like, this is not the Luis Perez that we saw in the New York Guardians and the XFL who could barely orchestrate the offense. He looked good. I mean, I, I, there's no other way to say it. Like he, there were a couple times he stepped up in the pocket, something I've never seen him do, in, you know, any of this time that he's put on tape. Um, but then they went with Johnson, and I get why. Like you could see the the spark that Johnson brings into the offense. But I just thought Perez played so confidently. I was surprised we didn't see more of him. That said, um, Johnson found success in his own right, and I kind of feel like the genie may be out of the bottle there in New Jersey, and. We may see them sort of go with the platoon through the first quarter and then go a little heavier Johnson. You can kind of tell like when the rubber hit the road, they felt a little more comfortable with DeAndre Johnson back there to make some plays. Um, and I think if you're playing it from a showdown perspective, I would think you could make lineups for either player. However, I don't know about putting both of them in the same lineup. That probably would have actually worked in the opener, but uh, I think more times than not, if you're going with a platoon situation, uh, give me the guy like DeAndre Johnson, who probably needs a few less things to go right for him to be optimal. And not only that, he makes for a great captain selection as well. You just go ahead and throw him up there uh, because you're, you're really banking on a lot of rushing volume and and probably a rushing touchdown if he's going to be in the winning lineup there. So I, th I think – They'll start with the platoon again in the first quarter and then probably quickly lean Johnson again uh, if, if Perez turns the ball over. I am just an experienced DFS player. You're the one who literally wrote the book on showdown. So I will take your lead anytime you say so. Moving on, though, that is the showdown slate. Let's get into the last three games, two that take place on Saturday. And it starts with the Philadelphia Stars, who quietly ran 10 or 11 personnel, three or four wide receiver sets per established the runs Cody Main on 98% of their dropbacks. The fruit of those loins may have not been there since Byron Scott did average fewer than six yards per attempt, but the promise, the, pro the progress was there as well. So let's start with them before we get into Pittsburgh's offense. And for the injury report, Justin, before you go off, it's important because wide receivers Devin Gray and Chris Rowland have already been ruled out. Chris Rowland, important, of course, because he had nine targets, led the team with a 25% target share, whereas Matt Colburn popped up on the injury report. It's probable, it's probably going to play. And then, of course, they did get back Paul Terry, who is considered a chess piece in this offense, expecting to play both wide receiver and running back and soak up touches across the board as the third contributor in this backfield. So please help us all out. Yeah, I think losing Chris Rowland, a really big deal, and then you add Devin Gray on top of that. Um, there's going to be a really short target tree again here, this time for an offense that I'm super excited about. Like this to me is maybe one of the clearest target spots in all of the four-game slate. Targeting Brian Scott, this high-volume high passing offense. Was it a really good passing offense in week one? No. However, is there a lot of room for upside here? Absolutely. You can tell in the way they're coaching – that they want to win this particular type of way. That means great things for us for fantasy purposes. And it's a super tight three wide receiver set. DeAndre Overton, that's going to be your number one. Jordan Sewell, likely your number two. And Maurice Alexander, your number three. Mixing in there to make things a little bit interesting are a couple tight ends, Bug Howard and Pro Wells. Bug Howard caught a touchdown in week one. And a guy that I was just generally excited about before uh, the season started, he did not get a ton of playing time uh, this first week. Only 30% of the snaps ran a route, 32% of the team's dropbacks. 
So not quite as much volume there as we'd hope, but I mean, I think he's got to be a staple of this offense here in this week when they're going to be wanting to go four wide uh, a large number of times, or at least 11 personnel. He's going to be out there for 60 plus percent of the snaps this week, I think. And he's just such a big body. I think he's going to attract a lot of targets. So I feel pretty confident um, utilizing Bug Howard, perhaps when other people might be a little more interested in uh, going the DeAndre Overton route. Want to get kind of creative with some of those combinations, knowing that there's really only four viable pass catchers there. Let me stack Brian Scott with two of those guys. So this is where game theory comes into play because for every reason we both mention, Philadelphia is an obvious offense to target for high upside. Even a player like Matt Colburn, who soaked up a 19% target share from the backfield, hell, even both running backs, since Darnell Holland got 11% target share, even if we mix in Paul Terry, the fact they're throwing so much and the running backs get shallow, easy targets to soak up, that allows them high floors, right? But the fact they're playing Pittsburgh, quite honestly, the worst offense in all, any football going to high school football, Canadian football, that I have ever seen, ever, literally, that makes it an appealing offense to fade altogether. Maybe we take one piece, like DeAndre Overton, like you mentioned, like Jordan Sewell, who actually, despite falling, falling in targets behind Chris Roll and Devin Gray last week, led them both in routes run. So they were already on the field all the time. Now they're going to be on the field with that target equity. But this Pittsburgh offense is so bad. And again, I am an a better DFS player, I can tell you all about volatility and talk to hating my lineups to win tournaments. This Pittsburgh offense has no upside. There is nothing promising here. So I do worry that Philadelphia builds a lead a la Tampa Bay last week and then just sips my ties in the second half and calls it quits. And then they just hand off to Terry, Colburn, and Holland. That is my concern. That's why I like getting one of these running backs to hopefully soak up first half targets and then carries in positive game script in the second half. So lend me your take on the Pittsburgh offense. Is there any hope here, even in Jeff Thomas, who led the team with eight targets, being ruled out? It certainly condenses things. As I look at my projected target market share for all eight games or eight mm -hmm. teams, two of the highest numbers in the entire league go towards Bailey Gaither and Delvon Hardaway, the two starters at wide receiver for Pittsburgh. It just doesn't matter. Like what's 25% of zero. It's still zero. This offense is still so bad. Uh, like you thought, well, maybe they could at least come in and run the rock and just be like the world's, you know, um, greatest rushing attack with Garrett Groshek and Madre London, but no, not to be, uh, even those guys couldn't get going nine offensive linemen. No problem. The defense was ready for it. I mean, just Kirby Wilson looks completely outmatched out there as a head coach. I mean, it's, I hate to say it and put a nail in the coffin so early, but it just does. Down 17-0 in the third quarter. He came out, not only started again with two consecutive plays of eight offensive linemen, that second play he ran was on second and 22. He ran the ball on second and freaking 22. It is quite literally the worst thing you've ever seen. And as Sean George mentions in the chat, additional wide receivers available this week, that's also my issue with DeAndre... Uh, oh, I'm sorry, Delvin Hardaway. He actually did lead the team in routes run and air yards last week. But also remember, they only had three wide receivers active, whereas they get Brandon Mack and Trey Walker off the practice squad this week. They're both active for this game. And so now if we're, stalking, we're talking still four available wide receivers in this game. What does it do then? So I almost think 
I don't want any part of this. At the same time, this offense is so poor and that they run from behind that playing a defense against them really doesn't cut it either. It's really a weird situation, Justin. It is. So I think as you're kind of looking at things, you can get rid of pretty much all the Pittsburgh skill players from your player pool. Just go through mm-hmm. X all those guys out. I I don't think there's a realistic solution or situation where you just had to have either of any of those guys. You know, could uh, Garrett Groshek have a nice game and be useful for you in a fantasy lineup? Sure. But uh, there's not a situation that I'm seeing right now where they just run away with it and you had to have them. And, and that's what I'm always sort of asking myself as I'm building a lineup is like, who are the guys that I would just feel terrible because I knew I had to have that guy beforehand. And uh, as I'm looking through the list of players for the Maulers, it's none of those guys. Maulers defense, I think, is in play because of how sloppy we saw Philly be with the football last week. Um, you know, uh, Brian Scott took a few, took a lot of sacks uh, from the breakers defense, turned the ball over once, um, pick six. And so just not a, not a good situation there. And so if you want to play the, uh, you know, the stars can't quite get right again uh, script, Mahler's D, I think, is certainly on the table. Stars D, I think, go ahead and scratch them out because, as you mentioned, there's, there's not enough dropbacks to get there. And as someone who rostered Garrett Groshek last week, going against the grain, knowing what I was going to get from him, the Damian Harris of USFL DFS. He has to score a touchdown. It is, I assure you, frustrating whenever fullback Mikey London runs a route instead of Groshek, and then London soaks up all three backfield targets over the two running backs. The most frustrating offense, I swear to you, in all of DFS. Moving on, though, with this next game, we have a special one in Birmingham Stallions versus the Houston Gamblers. There's already a couple of questions in the chat regarding it. So let's start with Birmingham offense, Justin, because starting quarterback last week, Alex Magoo, got ruled out already. And what we do know is that Marlon Williams actually quietly recorded a 40% target share team high from Magoo. But once he left, it was actually Victor Bolden, Osiris Mitchell, who led the team in target share 29%. From Jamar Smith. Jamar Smith, of course, because of the rushing touchdown and his rushing upside, finished as the QB2 in USFL fantasy. So, where are you at right now with this offense? Yeah, I've got Jamar Smith as my number one quarterback this week. Mm. And uh, it's, I was really worried that we'd have another platoon situation, kind of like what we have in uh, New Jersey, in terms of how they were going to want to do these two quarterbacks. With Magoo being out, it kind of answers all the questions. And we saw a really nice looking flashy ceiling from Jamar Smith. I think he makes for the nice, uh, the most well-rounded, safest floor uh, type of play with a really nice ceiling to go with it. Um, another thing we saw with Birmingham that makes also Jamar be a great play is the receiver rotation was so, so concentrated. All three starting wide receivers played every single or ran around on every single drop back 100 routes run for victor bolden marlon williams and osiris mitchell all three of those guys out there all the time plus the tight end carrie angeline 92 percent of the routes run out there so i mean you couldn't ask for a more condensed uh distribution of, of targets cj marable if you wanted to go with the running backs i think that'll be kind of a hot topic because i think i think people are still on tony brooks james after last week really of yeah, and so I like uh, the the peripheral numbers scream uh, CJ Marable, and so you, 
you hear the excitement in my voice because Marable and Trey Williams were the only running backs to exceed 60% of their team snaps. So despite the touch count, Marable was on the field significantly more than his teammate. And that's why I get so excited. Exactly. And you're looking at the targets um, and uh, Brooks James out-targeted Marable. If you're looking at the rush attempts, Brooks James had more than Marable. But if you look at the snaps, which is a much better predictor uh, than either of those two numbers, look at the routes run and it's all CJ Marable. He was clearly the starting guy. He was clearly the guy used in high leverage situations. Uh, look no further. I think he's going to be a great play and probably under all. So, why I like this game, beyond the reasons we mentioned and stacking Jamar Smith with Magoo now out of the way, Marable coming in under the radar potentially, is that we also saw this Birmingham defense just seed 200 yards on the ground and five yards per carry to the New Jersey offense. And now you have the Gamblers, who were the run-heaviest offense in a one-score game strip throughout on the other side of the ball. So what if... You know, it's still early enough to ask, what if this Birmingham defense is just leaky on the ground in their front seven, and now we get a run-heavy offense against them? So I absolutely love this game. JoJo Ward, of course, out Justin, which is why I want to get your take on what happens in the passing game if you go that route, since, as we know, Ward led the entire league with a 50% target share last week. Yeah, Ward out and Tyler Simmons comes up and replace uh, and replacement. Um, it looks like we should expect a pretty tight three wide set of Isaiah Zuber, Anthony Ratliff Williams, and Tyler Palka with Simmons coming in as the number four. That's what we're assuming at least. And anytime we're getting one of these guys that was out last week but in this week, it really sort of rescrambles the magic eight ball, so to speak. And you know, Tyler Simmons, I have. I think he's the wide receiver for there. It would make sense that if he was out last week, he's at the bottom of the rung this week. But what if he's like their best playmaker? I mean, that's still very much in the realm of possibility um, that he goes out there and leads the team in targets. So uh, just make sure you're accounting for all those ifs and maybes. But you mentioned the running game, and that to me is going to be where the bread is buttered. Mark mm -hmm. Thompson looked good. I mean, he he ran the ball really well. I played a lot of Daylon Dawkins because I thought he'd be uh, a pretty underarm piece. And he, he looked okay, but Mark Thompson looked like he was from a different planet compared to some of these other guys. Um, so I'm interested in, in Thompson and the run game, despite the fact that he's, he's not <laughs> – He's kind of like a rich man's Garrett Groshek in a way. Like he's not super involved in the passing game, which is definitely a ding on him. But uh, if you're if you're talking about the sort of Damian Harris game that can get you, Mark Thompson it looks like a guy who could be capable going up against a Birmingham defense that's already let up a few points there. Um, so yeah, I, I kind of leaning Thompson over Dawkins this week. FYI, there's heavy lightning and thunder downtown. So if I cut off, you have my free pass to go ahead and finish the show without me. But until then, I will say I'm calling my shot on the Houston running backs with Jamar Smith. I like a game stack here because we can still squeeze an onslaught in with the Jamar Smith offense and have one, maybe even two in large field payouts. Maybe both Dawkins and Thompson. I'm not ruling it out whenever we're trying to get these heavy payouts and the field knows what we're doing. So I love the Houston rushing attack this week. The Sunday game, moving on to the final game, is really intriguing because we have some injuries we need to be aware of for late swap opportunities that are going to dictate a lot in the final game. And that is for the New Orleans Breakers. 
Running back Jordan Ellis, one of two running back used last week, is, was limited on Friday, as well as wide receiver Chad Williams was limited. For the Tampa Bay Bandits, wide receiver Rashad Davis, who had four targets and a 12.5% target share last week, also limited. So let's start with New Orleans and tell us where your head's at with that offense as of Friday. I thought they looked, I mean, they obviously ran the ball extremely well. TJ Logan was involved in the passing game. Uh, we did not get Sean Poindexter like everybody thought we might uh, last week. Um, but we did see Sal Canelo, the tight end, really come into a big role. Um, he's, to me, he, I've got him projected to lead the team in targets this week. Um, I think he's looking like a pretty strong play there. And again, like thinking about some of these tight ends, we didn't even talk about uh, Brandon Barnes in the last game. He's a guy who got targeted a couple times at the uh, at the um, uh, end zone. And so, um, yeah, we can definitely make some hay with those guys. I think we, even though we saw a really run-focused attack from the breakers, I, I just have this feeling, especially in a Larry Fedora offense, that the passing game will turn on as soon as it's necessary. And uh, we'll see uh, Kyle Slaughter drop back and target some of these guys a bit more. Um, but, I mean, one thing we're just kind of seeing around the league is quarterbacks comfortable taking the free yards at the running back position and just dumping it off. And that's great for a player like TJ Logan. I've got a projected for 13% of his team's targets this week. He should go out there and, and make some hay out there on the perimeter. It's also encouraging that they still, New Orleans, got to 64 plays without touching the ball in the first quarter. So you would expect them to be an offense that hoards the ball when it all comes together. And perhaps that happens this game. I also like TJ Logan, if only because he soaked up every single running back target. But the running back I will not move him out of the way for, because I'm not moving anyone out of the way for, B.J. Emmons, who very easily, in my opinion, the RB1 in the entire slate, if you are worried about Jawan Washington, I would note that B.J. Emmons out-touched Washington 22-7, to until Tampa Bay's last two drives. And even then in garbage time, seeding the way for Washington, Emmons finished with the league's highest backfield touch share, 66%, as arguably the only bell cow in the entire league. So no matter how we attack Tampa Bay's passing game, which I'm curious to get your thoughts on, BG Emmons is a guy you don't overthink over the field 100% of lineups. Yeah, I have no problem with that. Um, if you're looking for the a sure thing, he's as close to a sure thing as there exists on this entire slate. Um, you know, obviously, I think his quarterback, it, it becomes interesting because a lot of people will sort of set rules to exclude themselves out of a lineup that includes his high upside quarterback, Jordan Tiamu, and B.J. Emmons in the backfield. Because, you know, we've played enough NFL slates where quarterback and running back don't get there at the same time. But here's the difference. It's a four-game slate. Like, there's not 13 other games for us to choose from here. There's there's three other games. And so, of course, it's entirely possible that Jordan Te'amu has a good game, uh, the team does well, and B.J. Emmons is a big part of that. Uh, it could happen through a passing touchdown to B.J. Emmons. It could happen just through sheer volume, and they both have enough production to get there. Um, the, the ceiling or the, the sort of barrier – for quarterbacks to get through to pop into an optimal lineup is just simply not that high. Tiamu probably uh, gives you a, a really, really solid floor. We did not see him rush much at all this past week. Remember, we talked about that. We were concerned as the most rostered quarterback in week one that he was actually just part of a gimmick offense with the Battle Hawks that weren't going to do anything but run the ball in the XFL anyhow. And so the jury's still out, right? We don't know if he's good. We don't know if he's going to run the ball after three carries. Um, also, the fact they had a 54% run play rate in the second half because after the half, 
they were up 17 nothing. There was no need to throw the ball anymore. And oddly enough, when he was asked to throw the ball, he was terrible uh, throwing that pick in the second half. Also still finished with just 5.8 yards per attempt. So I, I wouldn't say like I'm certain he's bad. I wouldn't say I'm certain he's good. Like we don't know, which doesn't really make me excited about him. But either way, like I said, I'm excited about Emmons. And sure, you can play Tiama with Emmons. Yeah, for sure. So I would say like that's sort of a general rule for me this week that I, I think I learned from last week is don't block yourself. If you're using an optimizer to make a bunch of lineups, don't block yourself with unnecessary rules because people will break correlation rules in, in this type of slate. It's just there's not enough other places to go. You don't need a four man stack from the Philadelphia Stars to win the whole thing like you can. You can diversify yourself out a little bit. It's going to raise your floor, maybe drop your ceiling down just a tad. But honestly, um, we haven't seen enough quarterback production to support just going all in on one team. And if we were looking for whatever the XFL's roughnecks would be in this year's USFL, I, I think we have not seen that team yet. And so maybe there's a bit more parity. Um, certainly there are a lot of great games uh, in terms of closeness on the scoreboard uh, this first week. So I think it's entirely possible that we just don't get that this year. Uh, Furby H is taking over hosting duties before everything collapses over here. And he's asking the same question I was going to ask in how do we handle Cheyenne O'Grady? Is it a situation where we don't overthink it after he ran around on 91% of Tiamo's dropbacks, also a league high 11 targets, 34% target share, or is there any other reason you would think maybe Daquan Hampton being limited and making an appearance that we would get off O'Grady? Because I'm up for either suggestion you make. I'm buying in on Cheyenne O'Grady, and the reason why is because you're kind of looking for reasons to buy into some of these guys. I mean, we know nothing, and so he passed the eye test with flying colors for sure in this first week. I mean, he looked like mini Rob Gronkowski out there, just out there destroying people. He's open on every play, targeted a ton. And so while I try not to over-adjust uh, projections from one week, uh, his peripheral numbers look good too. There's really there's really not a part of his game that says I should ding him. So what I've done is basically assume that Daquan Hampton is back this week and he takes some portion of Cheyenne O'Grady's snaps, but likely they're going to make Cheyenne O'Grady a focal point of this offense. Um, you know, what, what I think is going to happen is people are going to be here at week four of USFL and Cheyenne O'Grady has just gone nuts for the first three weeks. And they're like, man, I wish I had gone ahead and invested in him early because everything was there. And so, yeah, I'm kind of looking for reasons to be bullish on guys. And I try to hedge, honestly, uh, towards closer to like league average on most of these things. But um, the, the target numbers were so egregious for O'Grady that, um, you know, he's only down at like 24% of the team's targets. Whereas last week, what was his, I mean, what was his number in terms of targets for the team? Um, it was... Was it forty percent? I think last uh, week. Well, he he had a thirty-four point three percent target share. Thirty-four. There you go. So I mean, it's coming to way down. Like I'm bringing him back down to earth, but I'm kind of doing that with all the major outliers. And you got a guy like JoJo Ward who also had a monster target share. He's not even playing this week. So um, anyway, it's just yeah. I think I think there's a really good reason to assume that there's a lot of strong uh, signals that are all lining up for uh, O'Grady's way. 
And if you are pivoting from O'Grady, again, I'm not sure if I am, but I do think an option would be Jordan Lastly, since he did lead all wideouts, the wide receiver position behind O'Grady in route percentage. Um, and maybe that's where the opportunity goes since he didn't come close to targets. But with that, I also want to quickly remind everyone before we get out of here, it actually helped me in using the promo code 4 for 4 at Run the Sims for 10% off because I was at my partner's all weekend and like Grubhub, like Uber, I paid for a service. That way I didn't have to do the work because Justin, you're the one ruining your life doing all the work right now behind the scenes. So I just tuned in to run the Sims 30 minutes before kickoff and all the projections were updated. All the injury reports were updated and all the depth charts. It helped me immensely. So just letting everyone know out there, if you don't want to dig through the injury reports, Justin is literally doing that work for you with the promo code 444 at runs the Sims. So take advantage of that until then, Justin. Final thoughts on the week two slate before we get out of here. Yeah, I think it's going to be important to take some stands here. And um, I think finding key opportunities like you identified with Jordan Lastly over Cheyenne O'Grady, that could be a great way to uh, add some leverage into your lineup. And so uh, while I love O'Grady, he'll probably be in the majority of my lineups. The lineups that don't contain him probably do contain Jordan Lastly. Um, I, I think be bold, take some stands here. Um, I would have said probably diversify more in week one, but here I'm going to lean a little bit more on the running backs. I'm going to lean more on, on taking some stands in key situations and try to make where each lineup has one kind of unique thing there. You know, in, in one lineup, I'm fading O'Grady and playing lastly in one game. I'm, uh, you know, maybe fading Deandre Overton and doing a double stack with, Jordan Sewell and Buck Howard. You know, that's kind of how I'm feeling about this. And I'm trying to save as many roster spots for running backs because they're really going to lift your floor uh, as well as, as we're um, going through this week too. And again, it is minus EV technically, but like a player like Mark Thompson and Dalen Dawkins, like don't be afraid to take chances on carries. If we think we're in a situation where we can exploit those carries, we of course are depending on touchdowns, but I've played David Montgomery. I've played Damian Harris in a terrific matchup thinking, screw the targets. As long as I get these touchdowns, I'm okay going against the grain for that. And so I'm looking at situations where I can go against the grain in a condensed four-game slate, as we'll have every single week. Keep on exploiting those situations. And as you said, taking a stand. So until then, remember, runthesims.com, promo code 444. We will be back next week to continue the USFL Daily for week three. Good luck.